0: Our country has been going through a dwindling level of trust in our democratic process. There seems to have been an increase in dysfunction on Capitol Hill, and the voters are more divided than ever along political lines, which is amplified by social media. Now the Center for High-Impact Philanthropy here at the University of Pennsylvania has come up with a way for those wanting to make a difference and support the issues that they care about. They have a new toolkit and a publication titled We the People, a Philanthropic Guide to Strengthening Democracy. It highlights five core elements of Robust Democracy, Empowering Citizens, Fair Processes, Responsive Policy, Information and Communication, and Social Cohesion. The report shows that when those five work in unison, they reinforce each other and improve democracy. With more on this, we're joined here in studio by Kat Ruschetta, who is founding executive director of the Center for High Impact Philanthropy at the school's social, uh, School of Social Policy and Practice. Connor Carroll is the project manager for We the People. He joins us in studio as well, along with Harris Sokoloff, who's director of Catalyst Community Conversations at Penn's Graduate School of Education. Good to see you all. Thank you for coming in. Great to be here. Thanks Thank for everyone. having us. We have talked, at numerous times about having high impact, but there may be, I, I guess, no other greater area of focus right now than the issues around civil discourse in our country at this point.
1: Well, that's exactly the reason why the center decided to tackle this project. I mean, our mission is to understand where donors are concerned, um, and when there's concern but it's not clear how they can help that's where Chip, the Center for High Impact Philanthropy's work, comes in. And um, across multiple measures, um, we're seeing a decline in trust and the strength of our democracy. And um, we launched this project um, to help people understand how they could fix that.
0: It is is that impacting is that impacting philanthropic giving in general because of some of these issues playing out?
1: Yeah, one of the things to remember is that anytime you look at a social change or uh, a social cause. There are three sectors that affect that. Um, the business sector, the um, policy or government sector, and the nonprofit sector. So um, at, with democracy, it is a, a sort of global effect on the ability of all of us to create positive change, and specifically for nonprofits and philanthropies to achieve their goals. Um Democracy and our government are focused on the very same issues that philanthropy cares about. Mm -hmm. Um, Strong economies locally, um, good education for all our children, um, good health. And government is a source of funding um, for many of the nonprofits that philanthropists also support. So they are um, inextricably connected.
0: Connor, tell us about how this project, We the People, came together. So the project is sponsored by
2: Democracy Fund, which is an organization that was founded in 2014 by Pierre Omidyar um, of the Omidyar Fund for his social ventures, but previously of eBay. And they uh, reached out to CATA, I believe, sometime in 2017, um, mm-hmm. having worked with uh, the Center for High Impact Philanthropy in the past on an early childhood education project, um, realizing there was a need for a way to orient new donors to the space of democracy because... Um, there was an increase in, in, in interest in funding in this area, but they found uh, that people didn't really know where to get started. It's not, not not the not as uh, not as uh, historically not not where a lot of foundations have found themselves in the past.
0: But I, I found it interesting in going through the report that that there are so many organizations out there and funds out there that actually are are focused in this area right now you have quite the list at the at the back end of the uh, of the paper that you did
2: yeah absolutely there have been organizations that have been doing this for Centuries we have we have uh, one of the organizations we profile is the League of Women Voters, which uh, was founded in 1920 um, with the advent of, of women's suffrage and has been um, protecting voting rights, getting citizens involved in the political process for yeah. almost
0: 100 years now. Part of this, Harris, I- I involves civic engagement, and that's an area that you focus on quite a bit uh, with your work. Mm-hmm. A- and it, it truly is
3: It's an important area, important conversation that we need to have right now. Yeah. Well. You know, part of the issue is as we become more polarized, we tend not to talk with people who have different opinions than we do. Right. We tend to demonize them, think that they're evil. Sometimes we even think they're stupid. They're just wrong, wrong headed. Democracy cannot thrive unless people with different opinions have ways of talking with each other. And so the idea of civic engagement, of getting people who think differently, get, providing them with context to have different kinds of conversations, productive conversations, about what they want for their communities, and what they want for, the, and how they're willing to work together across difference, or maybe in spite of difference, to achieve those goals.
0: And I guess to a degree, the conversation that may take place between you and me, it, it, it would be different than what we see going on on Capitol Hill. And I think a lot of people believe that at times Capitol Hill does lend itself, unfortunately, to this lack of civil, civic engagement because of, of the approach that they are taking on Capitol Hill right now.
3: I mean I think that's exactly right. Sometimes we look to them as we think that's the model, or we yeah. look at the debates on the candidate debates on TV and we think, oh, that's the model. No, citizens, residents need to be modeling good public discourse. Public discourse that's respectful, that's inclusive, where people listen to each other, where they're willing to learn from each other. We need to, we need to model that with each other and then expect the same of the people we elect into office. Kat?
1: Well, and, and you pointed out exactly one of the things that has gotten lost is that um, it's local communities local sure. governments, neighbors, when we um, refocus on building that local layer of civic engagement, um, that's when we actually solve problems together. And right. what's happened with things like the decline in c- civic engagement, the decline in local media, is that now all of us are um, are being over-influenced by a very partisan national dialogue yeah. that um, can, can drown out the problem solving that can still happen on the
0: ground. Well, let's talk about the the local media aspect of this for a second. And and from where I live in the Philadelphia suburbs, there used to be a paper called the Intelligencer, Mm -hmm. which is no longer in Mm -hmm. existence Mm -hmm. here in, in the Philadelphia area. And that has been the story that we have seen play out across this industry for the last decade or so is the loss of the local Reporting The loss of the local newspaper, the fact that reporting is more based on national stories coming from organizations like the Associated Press that are running in entities, it, 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 as an industry, I think it makes it harder and harder right now to, to hope that we are going to get that piece of local media back.
1: Yeah, and, and um, one of the great things, and I'll let Connor chime in here, that our team found is um, ways in which... Philanthropists and nonprofits are working to rebuild that local media that mm-hmm. has been um, disrupted. Their economic model has been disrupted because of a lot of changes in that industry. But yeah. Connor can speak yeah. more specifically to some of those ideas.
2: Yeah. The Olympus Institute right here in Philadelphia um, has been uh, devoted to identifying business models that will work for local media now that so much online advertising has, has eaten away so much of the revenues that used to support that critical layer of local reporting that, yeah. that citizens really rely on to be effective citizens and to know about um, know the, the issue positions of their local elected representatives.
3: Yeah. You know, if I could just yep. add something. There's another la- local layer that we tend not to talk much about and that's the high school newspaper.
0: Hmm. Okay, you yeah. Know? yeah. The
3: high school newspaper is where young journalists start. You know, they're reporting on issues that are important to them in their school and their communities. Yeah. And um, Supporting students in doing that can really begin, and, and and can begin to support the growth of more local media. It's even possible as school districts begin to think more and more about uh, project-based learning for those new local high school newspapers to reach out and, and cover community stories, and add that layer of local stuff. And then journalism then becomes not opinionating, but what are the different ways of looking at this and how can we solve this problem together
0: for all of you how, how one of the other areas that you talk about is social cohesion
1: mm-hmm.
0: how how do we tackle that that problem right now Be, and it, it is a problem it you know it what what was social conversation a decade two decades ago mm-hmm. is not even close to what we we see today how do we tackle that part of it mm-hmm. who would like to take that
1: so um one of the things that we found when we were developing our philanthropic guidance was that um, there was a lot of recommendations on all the other elements that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. The one that we actually f- realized we needed to add was social cohesion. Because okay. when people think democracy, they think politics, they think elections. Sure. And especially at the national level, elections are all about uh, Can we get my team to beat your team? Um, So unless you think about social cohesions, you can just have a more activated voter group driving folks farther apart. The way to address those social cohesion are some of the things that um, Harris mentioned um, in terms of increasing civic engagement early on. Um, not forgetting that the students of today are the voters and the engaged yeah. citizens of tomorrow, um, as well as making sure that all communities have access to trusted information that gets back to what Connor said about rebuilding um, the local uh, media infrastructure.
0: And while I think that's that's great, I, I I also wonder whether or not when you think about that, maybe in the scope uh, of the high school mm-hmm. playing off of what you said with the with the, the high school newspaper of it is a phenomenal idea to, to try and get that, those discussions going on at the high school. But the question becomes is the, the concern that would be coming from the leadership of the school or the school district or the parents of the students of doing
3: something like this in the school district in this day and age. Yeah, so there are um, models. Well, let me start differently. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, if we're worried that a conversation might get out of control, then the question is how do we structure the conversation so that it's likely to be passionate, yeah. yet controlled. Yeah. So a couple of things that we know about and that everybody knows. So for example, you want to have a different conversation, structure it differently. Create some ground rules. Right. Simple things yeah. like listening is as important as talking. What and what do we mean by listening? Yeah. We mean to listen is to lean in softly with the willingness to be changed a tiny little bit by what you hear. Just a tiny bit. Like, I hadn't thought that before. Or listen with the exact same passion with which you want to be listened to.
0: How how much do you think, then, with all of these issues at play, that maybe to a degree social media has played an element detracting from of taking those next steps?
3: Okay. So so my own perspective on this is that... um, Social media has played a huge role in no small part because it has not been facilitated in a way that lends itself to being more constructive. Right. Uh, we've done community conversations with college students. On, we brought Penn students together with students from Cairn University. Yep. Cairn uh, used to be Philadelphia College of the Bible, so liberal students from a conservative organization. They had a great time talking with each other. Okay and they walked out saying, "Oh, I can act on I can have this conversation on social media if I just respond differently. Right. If I don't hit send right away. If I listen on social media with the way I listened here or if I ask questions rather than flaming back." So, there are moves that people can learn. To, to improve the impact of social media on civil discourse.
1: And I was going to say, I mean, Connor um, should mention the um, online town hall, because it's not just students who are capable of doing this.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I was going to mention that there are a few nonprofit organizations that Mm -hmm. are sort of reacting to the fact that a lot of discourse is online, and bringing these more deliberative engagements to an online audience. So uh, the Kettering Foundation in Ohio sponsors actually two different organizations, uh, the Institute for Democratic Engagement and Accountability, which hosts online Town halls with members of Congress. Right. Um, so, yeah. this is a great time saver for members of Congress instead of, um, and, they're, and they're used to going to these in person town halls where there's lots of protesters. It's sometimes right. just like a publicity stunt for, for people to get on the news. But these are uh, much more intimate settings where people are online, they're able to ask questions directly to their member of Congress. And they usually, they focus these independently moderated events on a single topic. And they find that people do change their minds on topics when they are in these moderated settings.
3: Yeah. Yeah, And the Kennedy Foundation also has created something called the National Issues Forums Institute, Mm -hmm. which does those things real time live. They're great models. Um, The work of the Catalyst Community Conversations has been doing this work for for, for a long time, 20 years.
0: One of the other areas you talk about in, in the report regards responsive policy. Mm. And I, I again, that kind of circles back with with the leadership that we have both at the local and, and at the national level, and, and how important it is to to have policy that truly does have the the, the positive impact on, on all of the communities that we have either at the local level or at the national level. Yeah.
1: I mean that that's the point, right? <laughs> of democracy yeah. is, is that it is responsive to the citizens' needs and. Um, you know, we were talking about the ways in which a uh, social media and online forums may require a shift in how we do this. So, uh, you know, as soon as you said responsive policy, I thought of another example that that our team uncovered, which is um, draw the lines. And um, and I'll, again, I'll let Co- Connor is much closer to some of these models yep. because he spent the time. But that is a great example of how um, teams of citizens, uh, high school students, actually the Center for High Impact Philanthropies team um, worked on a project there that was to help elevate um, ways in which we could address an a Major policy issue, which is gerrymandering, how our districts sure. are drawn. So, I'll let Connor described the the cool way in which yeah. that happens.
2: I think. Um, well, I just would set this up by saying I think a lot of the way people think to become involved in politics is through a campaign.
0: Yeah. And
2: campaigns are organizations with a single purpose to win an election. Yep. So nonprofits, you see, that are their their missions are more more sustained than that. They want to engage people even after Election Day and, and draw the lines as an example of this. Uh, it's based here in, or here in Philadelphia, run by the, it's a project of the Committee of Seventy. Um, and they offer an online mapping tool that allows a citizen to go online. You do this right now. Use their mapping tool to draw your own congressional districts for the state of Pennsylvania to contribute your voice to the gerrymandering debate, and they have these these things that like like Harris was talking about that that get you consider an opposing viewpoint. They they make you consider all the trade offs people consider when drawing congressional lines. Right, you know adherence <clears throat> to existing geographical boundaries, the idea of um, having competitive elections, considerations like this. And citizens can actually engage with this seemingly arcane and complex topic. They get all the information they need to draw their own map and they submit this map, and actually the, the winners of this contest get to present their map to lawmakers in Harrisburg um, in like with getting an ear from the China state Can just add
3: to that real quickly? They, yep. they draw the lines. Uh, they had these, uh, it's an online program and, mm-hmm. and, and, and a tool, but they also have community meetings mm-hmm. where they invite high school students, or so they yeah. have them in bars. So yeah. people talk about this stuff as they're doing it. And you know, so you get the best of the individualism, the best of, of collective conversation. Mm.
0: Quickly. So the goal here is hopefully for people when they're considering these types of organizations to look at, see if some of these components are actually part of the organization and, and that is the driver of the donation of, of the support of that, of that group.
1: Absolutely. One way to think of our framework is it's a checklist. If you see a philanthropic opportunity, understand how it is addressing one or more of those dimensions and make sure that in the way it does its work, it's not undermining another one. Right. Um, So that, that's, that's a way to use the guidance. And then in addition to having that framework, um, there's a list of resources and example nonprofits that are available for free from our
0: website. Connor?
2: Yeah, I think that's a cat made a great point. Thinking about the, the trade offs between making sure that, that one is not so we see a lot of a lot of appeals to get people involved in the political process that rely on fomenting distrust or anger towards the group. So that is an example of something that may empower people to get involved, but but uh, undermine social cohesion. So we really want to make sure that we're considering nonprofits that, that don't undermine any of those five elements. Final
0: thought, Harris. I, are you confident that we are in a position or soon could be in a position where we can actually have a positive impact where a lot of these avenues are concerned?
3: Oh, absolutely. There are so many organizations out there that are trying, let me rephrase it, that are, that are actually engaging diverse groups of people in framing issues in working through them, working through the trade-offs involved in them. Yeah. Um, philanthropies are funding them to do, to help do this work. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm actually very hopeful uh, that we've pulled ourselves so far apart that we're starting to bounce back together. For people that want to read the
0: report, if they go to the website of the Center for High Impact Philanthropy, they'll be able to to read the report?
1: Absolutely. www.impact.upenn.edu. It's all available for free.
0: Thanks all for joining us. Thank you.
1: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.